Listen up, get ready, I'm not gonna take no more. There's a revolution, a revelation going on in my soul. Buckle up, get ready, we're not gonna sit back. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Live from the Heartland. I'm Michael James, and this one is for the week of September 9th in the year 2023. We're broadcasting from the heart of Rogers Park, where the Fighting 49th Ward is, and we are recording it on the 6th. That would be Wednesday. We've got a couple of really good guests today. We're going to have Margot Vaselli. She's the executive director of Illinois Normal, the National Organization for Reform of Marijuana Laws. And then we're going to have the Vets for Peace Golden Rule folks. They're sailing the boat this time around the Great Lakes, pushing peace, anti-nuclear. And we're going to have Jerry Condon and Helen Jacquard come on and talk with us before they leave Racine and head to Chicago in the sailboat. A couple of really kind of neat things that happened. I just saw it on YouTube or somewhere. My wife showed it to me on her phone. There's a really right-wing candidate, Ramaswamy. He's up in New Hampshire. He's talking about truth. And while he was talking, the truth sign fell over on him. And uh, you got to go and check it out. You'll find it, I'm sure, if you have any uh, finesse with your cell phone. Also, here in the 49th Ward, there's a lot of talk about a new sign that went up that indicated that from this point forward on one of our beaches was a nude beach. And it was a very well done sign. It mimicked the uh, Chicago Park District signs. But we have been told by our alderwoman and many other people it's not true. Although there have definitely been plenty of sightings of topless people on our beaches over the years. And once upon a time, there was a proposal back in the 30s for a beach here in Rogers Park to become a nude beach. I don't think it passed. And right now, that new sign has disappeared. Whoever did this brought a lot of joy to a number of people. I was sitting in a dentist chair yesterday, and the dental hygienist came by and said she was driving back from Pennsylvania. And in Indiana, it was on AM radio talking about it. So that's a good thing. Also, we had a really nice Labor Day. A lot of attention to labor now that we have a president who is pro-labor. And there are more and more strikes going on, and we've been reporting on them regularly. My union, the Screen Actors Guild, SAG-AFTRA, is still on strike. And there is talk of a United Auto Workers strike. Biden in Philadelphia the other day said that he thought it was unlikely. You know, he intervened earlier this year to cut a deal between the Teamsters and UPS to prevent a strike. Now he's telling reporters that there's an unlikely strike between the big three automakers and UAW. He's not worried about it. He told people in Philadelphia he doesn't think it's going to happen. However, a guy named Sean Fain, who is the uh, kind of the outsider candidate who won the presidency, He says that he uh, does not agree with the president's assessment of the likelihood of a strike by the big three. He must know something that I don't know, he told the Detroit Bureau. However, he also noted that there was still ample time for the automakers to reach an agreement and avoid a strike. Okay, we'll see what happens on that one, and we'll keep you posted next week. Also, uh, There's a lot of ramifications going on around the Supreme Court's most recent decision, which really dished, put down diversity, equity, and inclusion programs in schools. There's a report either in the, I think it was in the Washington Post about it, Texas A&M, a lot of confusion around it and classes being canceled. 
There's a new Texas law that bans activities related to diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is DEI. And people are wondering what it's going to mean on their campuses. The closure of the campus DEI offices taking place all around the state, a central feature of the measure. It is already underway, and at least one school has shuttered an LGBTQ resource center. So what the Supreme Court does has strong implications for all of us, and that's why people really got to stay on target. And the next time around, we elect another Democrat. And hopefully we uh, will be able, to be able to change the composition of the Supreme Court in the years to come. A couple of things to take note of. The Chicago Underground Film Festival, always a great event. It's going to be running this year from the 13th to the 17th of September. You can find out plenty of information online about it. And I have a note from Marilyn Katz, who's been on the show a lot telling us to spread the word on the natural wine takeover at Wiener's Circle, 2622 North Clark. And that's on Saturday night. So check it out. It's a, a wine event. And I think it involves Marilyn's daughter. On the sports front, I got to say, I've watched a lot of tennis at the U.S. Open. Coco Goff has advanced, and she's been great. And Ben Shelton, he stunned Francis Tiafo last night. I stayed up late and watched that match. A lot of great tennis still to come. The White Sox are miserable. The Cubs are doing okay. They might still be in the playoff hunt. And the Bears open up against Green Bay, and we'll see how that all shakes out. A couple of birthday shout-outs. My daughter, Koya, has a birthday tomorrow. That would be on the 7th. And I have a wedding anniversary on the 8th. And my sister Melody has a birthday on the ninth. We don't usually do birthday shouts, but this one is close to home, and so I did it. Last week, we had Peter Huddis, John Valentine, and Don Rose on. Peter Huddis was talking about an event that took place on Tuesday at Loyola about the war in Ukraine. And a good friend of ours, Dan Kugler, who's been involved with the show off and on for many years, he'll be on the show next week to give a report on activity around the war in the Ukrainian community here in Chicago, and tell us a little bit of how that event went. Also, last week, we had Don Rose talking about the March on Washington at 60. It's worth watching, and there's a link to a piece he did on CBS News. I was at that march. It's one of the most memorable things that ever happened in my life, and it's got a lot of lessons for today. Also, John Ballantyne was on and talking about a tribute that he has coming up at the Montrose Saloon about a number of musicians, John Prine, Chris Christopherson, and Paul Goodman. So you can check all that out if you go to youtube.com slash heartlandmedia slash videos. Okay, we're going to get a little bit of music. Our engineer, Hal James, is going to give us something to listen to, and we're going to be right back with our first guest, who will be from Illinois Norman. And we're going to hear a little bit about what's going on, the marijuana, the reefer front. Okay, be right back. Welcome back to Live from the Heartland for the week of September 9th. I'm Michael James, and uh, it gives me a lot of pleasure to bring on someone who's been working hard to uh, write things on a front that has often been wronged. And that would be the marijuana industry. Um, and uh, our next guest here is Margot Vaselli. I hope I pronounced it right. Yes, I did, it is. apparently. Margot Vaselli, and she is the executive director of 
the Illinois National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Hello to you, Margo. Hello, thank you for having me. And thanks for joining us. I know you got a busy schedule. Um, I have a, a number of questions as someone who's kind of followed this for most of my lifetime. Um, why don't we start out by you sharing with us a little bit about what uh, the history of NORML, that's the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Law here in Illinois. Yes. So <clears throat> this national organization started out in the 70s from our very own Illinois constituent, Keith Stroop, who was an attorney and is an attorney, actually, currently serving for the national board federally. Uh, so this organization has practically a chapter in almost every state now. Uh, there are a number of states that have flipped either recreationally, medically, or both. And we are helping to serve the other states that are currently still waiting to flip theirs. Uh, what, how, what's the breakdown on how many states uh, have legalized uh, marijuana for medical purposes and those that have legalized it for recreational? And who are the holdout states like Oklahoma, where they grow a lot of weed? <laughs> I'm not really keeping up with current figures, but I do know that over half the states are currently flipped in either or side of that. And uh, there's still some of those states that are very conservative and holding on to dear life, but we will get there. Now, what was that about Oklahoma? Oh, I just know that they're growing a lot of marijuana they, and uh, shipping it out and they have a, there's a black market, but there's been a number of news articles, but I think they just vetoed or didn't vote through uh, legalization or even medical. I'm not sure of the actual detail. Yeah. Uh, but it's that... a pretty conservative state. It used to be a socialist state back in the old days, but that's a long time ago. Let me ask you, um, Margo, what was Normal's role in the state of Illinois in the legalization project? Uh, way back, we had on the show, I think, Dan Lynn, who was involved with the organization. He was at the Heartland Cafe when we did the show back in the day from the stage during breakfast. Um, what's, what was uh, Normal's role in bringing about the legalization of marijuana in Illinois? Yeah, Dan Lynn is my predecessor. He was the executive director for Illinois Normal for over 13 years, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. And they played a pivotal role in getting us to where we are right now. And that is that we have the freedom to be able to choose either recreationally or medically to be able to go and get our cannabis products. Um, what's the status of um, what's going on with marijuana in Illinois since legalization? That's a great question. Now, I actually was voted in in the beginning of 2020, so right at that cusp when we became recreational. And a lot of people have come up to me and asked, what are you guys even doing around? You already did your job. And essentially, we have done that job, but there's still a lot of policies that need to be amended in order to really serve the general population the way that it should be. We still have currently high tax rates and it's making us lose a lot of our market to the other states that are opening up surrounding around us that have lower costs and lower tax rates. And even to be able to cultivate on your own, there's other states that in the surrounding areas that have uh, 
a lot easier abilities to be able to do that. In Illinois, we are only allowed to have five states under one roof, no matter how many patients there are under that roof. And I've had a number of constituents reach out to me sharing that, you know, I have three children that have autism and they depend on this as a medicine and we grow for ourselves. However, if that grow has some kind of infestation or something happens where it just doesn't work out for them, they've just lost a lot of time and effort and money. And then they have to go to a local dispensary and have to spend a lot more money if they have that in access to them. Because we do have, you know, groups, large groups of dispensaries in the public more populated areas and the rural areas don't have access to all those dispensaries. So this was actually someone that was in a rural area and didn't have access to a local dispensary. I also noticed on your website that there are, you know, uh, you're allowed to possess a certain amount of marijuana, but if you go over a certain number of ounces, uh, there are penalties. Can you fill us in a little bit on that? That is still uh, yeah, an enforced, unfortunately, law that we are working with legislators to be able to change as well. Uh, there has been some movement on the fact that if there is an odor coming out, that that is not probable cause for someone to be able to get searched or to have any other further implications happen from that. But yes, this is a current law that there are certain limitations in the amount that you can have on you. Well, you mentioned uh, working with legislators, and I was wondering, um, you know, we, my state rep is Kelly Cassidy, who played a strong role in this. Um, and, uh, but I imagine there are still uh, legislators, maybe Republican, maybe some Democrats who have resisted the legalization process. And I wonder if you can give us any indication about where our uh, state reps and our senators, uh, who are the good guys, who are the bad guys? <laughs> well, we do have a list that we update on every political uh, run that we have with every representative. We reach out to them and ask them on their opinions. So you can definitely find that out in our website. I'm not going to call anyone out. Um, but other than that, every time I approach any legislator, they're very open to the, having these discussions. The issue is, is that they're not educated in it. They don't know how to advise anyone because they don't even know themselves. So that is something that we are working on as Illinois Normal and working with other organizations to provide that education to them so that they don't just grab information from other industries thinking that it could be applied to our industry the same. It doesn't work that way. Um, I'm uh, wondering a little bit about uh the equity in uh, dispensaries. It's an issue here in Chicago. Uh, you know, the, the way the law was passed, people thought that uh, people who had, you know, experienced the hardships of being marijuana users had certain openings to get involved in the industry. And, um, but there is a, a move, you know, a lot of wealthier, predominantly white groups have got a lot of the dispensaries and the market, and I'm just wondering uh, where are we at on fairness and uh, letting non-whites get a little bit of chunk of the action? Yeah, I mean, to any common sense person, you can look back at the history that we have. It's a short history so far. And you can see 
the individuals that were able to jump on these opportunities to get into the market already had the funds set aside, already had the connections there to implement for their infrastructures. So their logistics and everything is already set in place. Unfortunately, it's left a lot of other individuals out of the accessibility for these opportunities. And that's what that fight for social justice licensing is all about. And it's been just going round and round in circles and really sad, honestly. It makes what, me What really needs to be done? What would uh, constituents of some of these people, what, who, what, what kind of push do we have to give to get a better deal on this? So that's a good question to ask because we've been trying to figure that out too. And the way that we see it is that we're gonna put the approach that we're going to provide other pressure points within our industry to have these legislators move and take action. What we're doing is educating the legislators first and foremost, and then also getting more constituents activated. And who are the most activated constituents out there? seniors. So we're providing education to seniors <laughs> to go out there because they are the more likely to call upon their representatives to take that action. So basically, the idea is to get out there, speak your voice, share your opinions to your representatives because they do have to take that tally down when you reach out to them either by phone or email. And then they have to act upon whatever the majority of their population cares about. I uh, I saw something uh, in my research that uh, I think it was one in five seniors have uh, used marijuana in the last year. Did I oh, get that off your website or did I get it somewhere else? <laughs> I did not put that on the website, but if you do come across that again, please do share that with me because I am here to provide some additional data like that to uh, some legislators that are interested in knowing about this with what I was sharing. You know, we're educating the seniors, so I'm trying to activate that. They want to have this data to provide so that they can actually see that this is a viable uh, in initiative that we want to take on. Margot Vaselli, let me uh, ask you about uh, the ongoing reports that the D uh, Drug Enforcement Agency is considering the reclassification of marijuana. Now, I imagine that this is something that normal uh, around the country is paying close attention to. And I'm just wondering if you could give us an update on the process or what where that stands. Yeah, uh, just I believe either earlier today or yesterday, National Normal sent out a publication through their newsletter stating that rescheduling is not what we want. We want descheduling. Rescheduling is not going to do us any good. It's only going to provide more money to the profit makers out there and add even more money to those that have been in medical facilities. We want descheduling to be that cannabis can be accepted just like tobacco and alcohol to be sold. What are what are some of the issues that uh, you guys are dealing with that uh, people who maybe use marijuana or the just in general uh, issues that are coming up around marijuana? The most common issues that we often get is with the utilization of their consumption in their homes. If it's an apartment building, there's neighbors that complain about the odor and that starts a issue for people. So they come and reach out to us to seek 
some advocacy or some legal representation for that. Other parts are people that are employed at jobs or seeking employment and they can't find jobs because they are a patient, a cardholder, and they are in fear that they may get drug tested. States like California now just implemented recently that they're no longer drug testing for marijuana for new employees or even current employees. So that is something that we've been looking into and seeing how we can adopt that as well. What's the story with drug testing here in Illinois? Is there any movement on uh, either stopping it or altering it? Is it still used to keep people out of work or keep them from getting a job? You know, I haven't really heard much. I do know that the trucking industry, there's a few organizations there that have already self-declared that they will no longer be testing for cannabis use. But other than that, um, what was phenomenal to me to see was the fact that union representation was happening here in the state, or yeah, in the state of Illinois. And uh, ironically, the union, the union employees are not able to consume themselves. So it's just really just the juxtaposition there. Um, you know, how are they representing these individuals that are working in these spaces? Are you talking about working in marijuana dispensaries? Or yeah, just cultivations, the corporate companies. Yeah. There's been union representation now because they've been unfortunately not being taken care of as an employee. So they had to step in, but it's just ironic that these union representatives aren't able to consume themselves. So it's just an interesting situation there. One of the things that I noticed on your website was a, an analysis. Let's dispel the myth that cannabis smoke and tobacco smoke are equally hazardous to health. Uh, what can you share with us? Because that comes up and then uh, people have even said that to me in my lifetime. It's just like smoking cigarettes. Well, we can't really declaratively say either or because we don't have the research here in the United States. However, there are researchers in our leading nations of Spain and Israel where they are conducting this research. It's just America doesn't accept it. We have to do our own research. There's studies that show that there isn't any implications that come from the cannabis use smoke, but I can't declaratively say that. On another front, many hemp-derived Delta-9 THC products sold over the counter contain synthetically derived THC. So I don't know much about this synthetically derived THC. Fill us in as much detail as you want. So it's going to be a confusing world that we're entering into the science behind this plant because there are over a hundred cannabinoids that exist in this plant naturally that each have a benefit to us that can target specific conditions or diseases. However, those derivatives that you just mentioned, those are novel cannabinoids. They're synthetic. They have to have some kind of manipulation by a human being by some other compound that will bring about another type of cannabinoid, but it's not a natural one. The concern is, is that these facilities that are producing these synthetic cannabinoids, are they actually using compliant methods to do so? Because hemp is not being regulated at all. 
it's legal, but it's not being regulated. No one is going into these stores and checking in to see if that they're being tested properly, that they don't have heavy metals, that they don't have molds, that you know they don't have traces of residual solvents possibly within it. And if you're an autoimmune deficient individual, especially, that could cause a detrimental effect to your health. And if you're not even someone with an autoimmune disease, it could still build up in your system and cause some kind of issue down the line. So those are my concerns about it. Not saying that these derivative uh, synthetic cannabinoids are not safe. I'm not saying that. Just as long as the measures that they're taking by providing these products are actually clean methods, then I will you know, support them. What is the... Uh the the growing of marijuana is it being grown in illinois i mean if you if we have a dispensary in evanston or in chicago somewhere is the source of the marijuana being sold there all from illinois or is it from around the country and do the um is there enough marijuana being grown say in illinois to meet the demands that is uh, something that the previous board actually provided. It was an Illinois demand study that they showed that the previous amount of dispensaries and cultivation centers was not able to keep up with the demand that we had in Illinois. Now, with the new release of these new licenses, it's definitely going to help supplement that. However, the rollout is very slow to go. So the demand was not met. However, now there's new markets opening up in uh, states near us that has shifted that demand too. So can't really speak to that. Well, you, either. You've mentioned the uh, the other states a few times, but I I thought that uh, which state are we talking about? I mean, Indiana it's not legal. Uh, Missouri, Kentucky, it's not. It is legal in Missouri now. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, hopefully, maybe they'll turn a little bit more blue from the red that they got over there smoking the green. But uh, <laughs> let me. Let me uh, let me see if I can get you to talk a little bit about the, the history of the criminalization of marijuana. There was a time when it was legal in the United States. Uh, it's my understanding there was a lot of it originally started to shift when you had, uh, you know, certain Mexicans and, uh, you know, in L.A. an area were smoking marijuana, you know, it was pretty much uh, viewed as something that non-whites did. And then, you know, we... We ended up with this, what was his name, Anslinger or something? He was mm -hmm. head of uh, drug stuff. And we just had these draconian laws with people going to jail for years and years. Uh, I think about my friend John Sinclair from the old White Panther Party. You know, he's he went to jail for a number of years for two joints. Uh, what do you got to say about all that? Oh, that breaks my heart. Anslinger is rotting just the same way as Hitler is in my book, and I think in a lot of people's books. That's good. I'm going to put that in the promo for this segment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks. Um, so what? there's a lot of interesting perspectives on this. So we actually have in Illinois a gentleman, his name is Craig Cecil. He was imprisoned for life for having a business, a trucking business, that, you know, they just fix trucks. And one of the businesses that came through his business was someone that was transporting marijuana across states. He got pinned with it. He did not want to disclose the information for, you know, reasons. And uh, luckily, he was so proficient by continuing his push 
on the wardens inside of these prisons, keep questioning about what his possibilities and opportunities were. He would organize other prison cellmates inside the prison. And I think we think the warden got sick of him for doing it. So eventually he got an exit date. And by chance, he saw this exit date, got one of the attorneys that was doing some work for another organization and was able to get out on clemency on Trump's last days, which was very lucky. Now he started a new organization called Second Chance Foundation to help other prisoners get out as well, because there's other organizations that are saying that they're doing it. However, they're focusing more on policy rather than actually getting the prisoners out. Now, Normal, he reached, Craig reached out to National Normal when he was still in prison, seeking out some help and resources. And National Normal said, sorry, you broke the law. We can't help you. I don't see that same viewpoint. If the law wasn't there to be broken, he wouldn't have been behind the bars, right? And same with everyone that's currently behind bars. So essentially, it's a part of this whole industry. Like whoever is a part involved in this, they have some kind of implication to help those that are behind prison cells still trying to fight to get themselves out. So I always try to bring attention to that organization to help them get more awareness and uh, help to be able to do that work. But other than that, um, you know, the federal changes that are being talked about, it's just so slow to roll. I remember last year I was interviewed about the president sharing that he was going to start doing something about it, getting um, not clemency, but just the release for everyone that had any kind of charge. And that was very slow to roll. And now we have a year later where they're starting to talk about it. It just seems like it's going to be on the platform for the next presidential election race so that we can favor one person or the other, unfortunately. Uh, Margo Vaselli, I'm going to ask you one more question. And that would be, uh, do you have any sense of the ramifications for the legalization of marijuana, particularly in Illinois, for those people and I would say the heroic people who for the last 30, 40, 50 years have defied the law in order to bring marijuana to people throughout the state and beyond. Um, you know, they're, you know, it's a big industry, an underground industry, and uh, it probably still exists, but I'm curious to know if you have any sense of the, what, what effect it's had on uh, people who were vested in the old underground marijuana industry. Well, it's just really unfortunate that they don't have access to actually become legal business operators. That's all they want, really. And to those that are naysaying the fact that these people are breaking the law or you know whatever it is that their perspective is on it, if we hadn't had these people fighting the good fight for us to be able to have access for all those years, would we even be here currently right now in this state where the industry is now opening up? I don't think so. So they are our saviors. They are our champions. Just like you were just saying, Michael, I look up to them and thank them for their hard work and efforts and unfortunately having to give a stake in their lives just to be able to make this happen for us. Well, this has been great. Uh, thanks for filling me in on a lot of information. Is there anything that I didn't ask you want to share? I think that we covered it all, and I appreciate having this conversation with you. Thank you so much.
Great. I want to thank you for coming on live from the heartland. And I want to tell everybody to stay tuned. We're going to do a short musical break. And we'll be back with some people who are sailing the boat, the golden rule around the Great Lakes, bringing up the question of uh, nuclear weapons and maybe even nuclear energy. We'll be right back and we'll know more uh, with those folks from Veterans for Peace and the Golden Rule. And thank you so much, Margot Vaselli. I look forward to meeting you in person. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Live from the Heartland for the week of September 9th. I am Michael James. I'm your host today. And I uh, I always like it when listeners and people I know are sending me lots of information about something that's coming up and actually requesting to be on the show. Take note of that, everybody. You know, it's at Fatback at AOL. You want to be on, you've got some information, get a hold of me. But a lot of people have been telling me about this, this sailboat, the Golden Rule, it is uh, sailing around the Great Lakes, and uh, I am lucky to have two people who are driving the support vehicle and helping to run the show, Jerry Condon and Helen Jacquard, and they, I think, are in Racine today. Yes, we are. <laughs> good morning, good afternoon to both of you. And to you, hi. Great to be here, Michael. Thank you for having us. Well, let's get a little background on this. I think that... Um, uh, I looked at a, I went to uh, Veterans for Peace Golden Rule Project, and I found that uh, this book, this ship, this boat, the sailboat is uh, built in the 50s, and uh, its original uh, intention connected to uh, the peace movement was to sail into areas in the Pacific, I believe, where nuclear testing was going on, and, uh, you know, People got arrested in Hawaii, and the boat was seized. How about you give us a little history of the project of the Golden Rule? Well, the whole thing started because the United States was testing nuclear weapons in the Marshall Islands. That's 4,000 miles out of San Francisco. So people were trying to get that stopped, and their efforts were not going anywhere. So this group of Quakers decided to get a boat and sail it right into the testing zone and put themselves in the way. And they made it to Hawaii and headed out, resupplied, headed out for the Marshall Islands. And the Coast Guard brought them back and arrested the crew. And yeah. Hawaii, Hawaii is about halfway to the Marshall Islands, 2,000 miles from California to Hawaii and another 2,000 miles to Marshall Islands, right? That's right. So it's a good place to resupply to finish the trip. And so another boat um, did succeed in taking the baton and made it into the Marshall Islands. So the arrest of the crew of the Golden Rule brought about a big backlash against nuclear weapons testing and ultimately helped give President Kennedy the cover he needed to sign the Limited Test Ban Treaty of 1963, only five years later. So we did succeed in helping to stop nuclear weapons testing, and this tactic inspired the founding of Greenpeace when they were trying to stop underground nuclear testing later. Yeah. And then the boat uh, was sold in 1958 after these protests and after the arrests and all, after the international hubbub and uh, sold into private hands. It was sailed by several families around the Caribbean, the South Pacific, other places. And uh, uh, somehow or other, 
ended up a derelict boat that sank in Humboldt Bay in far northern California, on the northern California coast close to Oregon uh, in 2010. And uh, the boatyard owner uh, dragged it up out of the water and was actually uh, considering making a bonfire out of it. Uh, but the local Veterans for Peace group uh, found out about it and learned about its history and said, no, we want to we want to restore that boat and restore its mission of sailing for a nuclear-free world. So that happened over the next five years, five years of volunteer effort. Some of those veterans and Quakers and others were in that boatyard every day for five years, lovingly restoring this beautiful uh, historic wooden boat. And for the last, uh, we splashed down and back into the water in uh, June of 2015. And for the last eight years, we've been sailing for a, a nuclear-free world and a peaceful, sustainable future. Well, before I ask you about this particular cruise around the, uh, or sail around the Great Lakes, it I just had this pop in my mind. I had a friend named Barbara Swan, and her parents were peace activists. And I believe that they were uh, in the Connecticut River, the Thames River, near United Boat, protesting nuclear submarines being built. I didn't connect. You guys remember that or know about that? I think I've heard of Barbara Swan, but I don't know if I've met her. Well, that is a lot of what we do. Actually, you know, we we sailed up and down the west coast of the United of the U.S. and uh, Mexico and uh, British Columbia uh, for several years, um, and uh, all kinds of actions and activities, protesting outside the Trident nuclear submarine base up there near Seattle, Washington. Um, protesting or having an alternative presence at Navy Fleet Week actions in many cities, uh, even appearing in uh, wooden boat shows and reaching a lot, a lot of people. Then we actually were over in in uh, Hawaii for two years, and our intention was to actually finally sail to the Marshall Islands and Guam and Okinawa and Japan, but COVID uh, um, made that impossible. Um, so we brought the boat back to the United States and what we're doing now is we're on the what's called the Great Loop, uh, something that many boaters know about, um, sailing all the way down the Mississippi, um, actually into the um, Ohio, Tennessee, and Tom Bigby rivers, down to the Gulf of Mexico, uh, to Florida. We actually went over to Cuba for 10 days, came all the way up the, the East Coast, all the way up to Bath, Maine, and then back down to New York City, uh, through uh, into the Hudson River, the Erie Canal, the Oswego Canal, into Lake Ontario, over to Toronto and back. And now we're in the Great Lakes. Uh, we're having great events uh, in many places. We were just in, in Milwaukee and had a, a Veterans for Peace there, did a wonderful job uh, with many terrific events. Um, so that's what we've been doing, having events. We've had almost 100 court, court calls with multiple events in each city. Um, and we're just uh, actually a few weeks away from finishing our one-year voyage around the around the uh, Great Loop. When we leave Racine tomorrow, we'll be going across Lake Michigan to St. Joseph. We're actually going to be driving over to Kalamazoo for a number of events there, and then uh, then we're headed to Chicago uh, to see you guys. And uh, that'll be our last last stop. We have a whole week full of wonderful events there including our final event to celebrate the success of our voyage, which will be on Sunday, 
September 17th. Well, that you can be see our Chicago? whole schedule. Yeah, that'll be in Chicago. You can see our whole schedule at our website. It's right on the homepage there. Um, that's VFP for Veterans for Peace, vfpgoldenrule.org. So we arrive in Chicago September 12th, then we depart September 18th, where we're going to go up to Racine and take down the mounts and take the Golden Rule back to California. But in the meantime, you know, we've got the Dockside Welcome on the 13th and um, going to be at Lake Street Church on the 14th and participate in the Climate Strike March and have some boat tours. And then, um, as Jerry said, we'll have this um, this final event, a big reception. So grand finale, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but one cool thing on the thirteenth, after the press conference at ten thirty at noon, we're going to have a picnic in the park at Montrose Harbor, where the Golden Rule is going to dock. Oh, good. I was going to ask where it's going to be moored because that's a uh, familiar territory, Montrose Harbor. Yeah. Oh, good. So our, the reception we've been getting has really been amazing. Everywhere we go, people just love this boat. They love the story behind it, and they they appreciate the continuing effort to keep this boat sailing for a nuclear-free world. We get thanks profusely. We get all kinds of wonderful events organized for us. And, you know, what we've been seeing is that people are just hungry for hope. And this boat and its whole story uh, uh, of courage and and determination brings a lot of hope. There is a future, yes, Michael. <laughs> so people, and you know, hope only comes through action, right? So, you know, we try to give people positive actions they can take. You know, we're we're uh, supporting the uh, UN Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons um, and various efforts, the, the ICANN Cities Campaign to get cities and states to encourage the federal government to to sign that uh, nuclear ban treaty. We also support several pieces of legislation, uh, including the Back from the Brink uh, bill, which would, uh, you know, have uh, have the U.S. declare a no first uh, strike policy, take weapons off air trigger alert, uh, and stop spending billions of dollars on the modernization of our our nuclear weapons. Take away the president's sole authority, one individual, one. Uh, megalomaniac possibly deciding uh, whether there's going to be a nuclear war in the world. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so we're pushing these measures, and we're also reminding people that, sad to say, we're uh, the, the world is in greater danger of nuclear war now than possibly ever. Many people think we're in more danger now than we were in 1962 during the Cuban Missile Crisis because of the proxy war that's going on in Ukraine between Russia and the U.S., the two nuclear superpowers, which continues to escalate to a dangerous, very, very dangerous level. Now there's now the U.S. is sending depleted uranium weapons and cluster bombs, and what 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 what'll be next? We're not sure. They are playing a game of nuclear chicken over there. So Veterans for Peace, which is the owner of the boat and the sponsor of this this our voyages, is um, part of the Peace in Ukraine coalition. We are calling for a immediate ceasefire to end the killing and uh, negotiate an end to that war uh, before it uh, becomes something horrible for the entire world. Um, and we're actually uh, co-sponsors of the uh, Global Week of Action for Peace in Ukraine, uh, October, uh, September 30th to October 8th. People can find out about that 
at peaceinukraine.org. You know, uh, you talk about proliferation of nuclear weapons. Uh, who are the allies in the U.S. government to that, uh, you know, move to, to prevent more nuclear weapons or to ban them? Mm -hmm. uh, do we have, are there any uh, senators, Congress people who people should take note of and uh, yeah. support? Well, at one point, we thought that Joe Biden might be an ally because he, when he ran for president, he said he was seriously considering declaring the no first use policy, but he has not done so by any means. Uh, there are a number of people. Senator Markey in Massachusetts has been a champion for nuclear abolition for a number of years. McGovern. Uh, 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 Congressman uh, McGovern, Jim McGovern, also of Massachusetts, has uh, introduced this back from the Brink Bill that we mentioned earlier. What's the number? It's HRES 77, if people want to check that out. Uh, well, there are others. Um, Eleanor Holmes Norton. Eleanor Holmes Norton, the, the non-voting member of Congress right. represents representing Washington D.C., which apparently doesn't deserve a vote in the Congress because there's too many black people that live there, um, and they're all Democrats. So <laughs> the Republicans say no vote for them. But anyway, she is she she is an active member of Congress nonetheless, and she has been introducing this bill for a number of years. And uh, it's what's it called, Helen? It's the Nuclear Abolition and Economic Conversion Act. Yeah. So it would take the money away from nuclear weapons spending and put it into human needs and life-affirming activities. Yeah. So, but at the national level, sadly, it's sad to say there are too few champions at this point in time, but there's an awful lot at the local level. Um, over 70 cities and the mayors of 70 cities have uh, signed uh, the... Um, um, they're part of Mayors for Peace. The, they're part of Mayors for Peace, but also they've They've signed the uh, ICANN letter, the I uh, International Campaign Against to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, calling uh, on the U.S. to sign the treaty, to the nuclear ban treaty. A lot of those cities are also signing that's back from the brink measures. We've been greeted uh, by over 40 mayors and city councils have come out and met the boat with proclamations, welcoming, welcoming us, sometimes declaring it golden rule day or week. And uh, and affirming these nuclear abolition measures is relatively easy at the local level because guess what? There's very few people across the political spectrum who think that nuclear war is a good idea. Yeah, let's be great to get rid of it. <laughs> Certainly before it happens again. Now you've mentioned a couple of organizations, uh, Greenpeace and Veterans for Peace. Uh, do you want to mm -hmm. share a little bit about? Uh, I know that Veterans for Peace is uh, kind of the the holder of the boat or owner of the boat and the leader of the mm -hmm. project. Tell us about them. And then the relationship mm -hmm. with Greenpeace. I knew a guy named uh, Jack Weinberg. I knew him from the free speech movement at Berkeley. I don't know if he's still real active, but he was a heavy hitter in Greenpeace for a long time. Well, Veterans for Peace has been around since 1985. Uh, we have over 100 chapters, uh, members around this U.S. and several international chapters as well. Our, our mission is uh, not only to abolish nuclear weapons, but to abolish war altogether. Um, and we have a lot of uh, different projects going on, um, and uh, and we're very proud to be uh, sponsoring the, the Golden Rules voyages. Uh, we've picked up, we've really stepped up our game in the last few years in terms of uh, dealing with uh, the threat of nuclear war. 
but we have a lot of other important projects, including, uh, for example, the climate crisis and militarism project of Veterans for Peace, which is uh, demonstrating how the U.S. military is a huge contributor, the largest to global warming, uh, the largest consumer of oil in the world, and then they, then they go to war for oil. 850 military, foreign military bases around the world, every one of them an environmental disaster. So, um, yeah, these are important connections that uh, Veterans for Peace has been making. And uh, you can check out all, all our work. And, and if you're a veteran, we strongly encourage you to consider joining. And even if you're not a veteran, uh, we have associate members, such as Helen here, people who want to lift up the voice of veterans. Um, and uh, so we about 20% of our members are, are actually non-veteran non members and very important to us. So uh, consider joining Veterans for Peace. We just had a very successful convention with lots of great workshops. I think those uh, are all going to be available soon on the Veterans for Peace website, which is very simple, veteransforpeace.org. Well, I'm glad that you have room for non-veterans. I mean, I am a veteran of the streaks and fighting against wars. Uh, and uh, I certainly, uh, I really love the sound of this organization. Um, so the boat, Chicago is your last event uh, this time. And then you're going to pull the boat out of the water. You're going to tow it back to California, right? That's right. And what's the plan for the next uh, sale of the Golden Rule? Any, well, any in your eye or hints about where it'll show up next, where people can go down dockside and check you all out? Well, yeah, tentatively, we're talking about a, a trip back up to the Pacific Northwest, where we haven't been since 2016. Yeah, we well, have a lot of friends up, up that Mer way. Up by Merrill Stone Island up there, there's that big uh, military complex. Um I have a friend that lives up there on a visit, and it's this little island. It's all military stuff and nuclear stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, everywhere we sail, I mean, we've seen, first of all, we've seen just beautiful, beautiful countryside everywhere we've gone. We've been blown away by the natural beauty. But it, but, but every bit of natural beauty seems to be crowded and threatened um, by environmental disasters or looming environmental disasters. And a lot of that is military, our military installations. So that's part of what we do as we as we go, go along, is bring attention to those military and and other nuclear related facilities that are uh, already poisoning or threatening to poison the environment even further. Uh, you but know, you know, uh, in terms of future voyages, Michael, I just want to say that uh, you know people are always putting bugs in our ear. This uh, this this idea of going around the Great Loop was something that. Uh, people were discussing a few years ago, and we thought, oh, that's way too ambitious. We could never do that. Well, here we are. We're just about finished, and it's been incredibly successful. Now, um, people are saying, well, you know what? Maybe you should go to the Pacific. If you don't want to sail all the way across there, maybe put the boat on a ship, uh, take it over to Asia, and start sailing around you know, Japan, Okinawa, Vietnam, China, Korea get in the way of the, the war that's brewing there, as the U.S. is clearly preparing the way, pretty much openly, preparing for a war against China. So we have to be concerned about that, too. Maybe the Golden Rule will end up bringing peace to the Asia-Pacific. That would be nice. You know, I want to encourage people to go to the website, 
Veterans for Peace Golden Rule Project, however you find it, but there's there is actually a film there that has a lot of neat stuff to watch. And let me, uh, uh, you know, I'm really enjoying this, but I want to uh, do what I do sometimes and ask my guests, in this case, it's Jerry Condon and Helen Jacquard, how did you two get involved in the movement? Uh, you know, and uh, just share a little bit of information about uh, activism and your own uh, part in it. Mm -hmm. Well, in my own case, I was uh, of age during the Vietnam War. So I actually enlisted in the Army under threat of the draft. I ended up training as a uh, Special Forces medic, which kept me in training and in the States for quite a long time. I got to talk to a lot of returning Vietnam veterans, heard, a, heard stories about U.S. soldiers' um, atrocities against uh, Vietnamese civilians, and I finally decided I couldn't be part of that war. I started speaking out against it. I refused orders to Vietnam. I was court-martialed um, and sentenced to prison, but I actually managed to escape uh, before I was imprisoned and um, spent six years in Sweden and Canada working with other draft resistors and deserters. I was part of the American Deserters Committee in Stockholm. And uh, part, there was a huge anti-war movement in Sweden and in Europe, and I became part of that and inspired by that. I learned a lot and uh, been going strong ever since, pretty much. Yeah, you got a lot of good information, brother. And how about you, Helen? Oh, I didn't even know there was a peace movement until I met Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> but that was a while ago. Yeah, that was in 2006. And then we joined Veterans for Peace together, got involved with the Golden Rule Project when we showed up in the boatyard to help finish the boat and uh, got roped into being the project manager soon after that. Helen has been crew and project manager and really the glue that holds this whole project together. Anybody who's close to the project will tell you that. Uh, so she's uh, she's made an incredible contribution and this wouldn't be happening without her. Uh, so uh, kudos to you, Helen. Oh, kudos to you, Helen. The golden rule will arrive in Chicago on the 12th. We're, right, we're arriving on the, the evening of the evening of the 12th, right? Right. So I'll start all of our activities on the 13th. And you can get the schedule at vfpgoldenrule.org. But it's going to be a pretty busy schedule. The, you know, the big day is going to be on Wednesday the 13th when we've got the big peace party in the park and the Oak Park Library. And just check yeah. it out. There's a lot of things being organized in Chicago. We're really looking forward to it. So aside from going to the website, vfpgoldenrule.org, you can call Helen uh, if you want more information or if you have an idea, something you'd like to do while we're in Chicago, take us out to dinner or something. 206-992-6364. That's the golden phone number. Okay. That's right. <laughs> Anything that I didn't ask you that you want to share? I think we got a lot in. Uh, I, wanted, I do want to thank... Uh, the people from Nuclear Energy Information Service, uh, Dave Kraft, for, for staying on this and alerting us to it. Uh, and there were other people jammed. He's, been doing, an, he's, he's doing an amazing job coordinating this whole, all these uh, Chicago activities. He's quite a guy. And then uh, yeah. uh, Jan Budard, a longtime activist here in the 49th Ward, has been on my case with emails. Mm -hmm. And I'm mm -hmm. so glad that we made the connection. I am going to be out of town for some of that, but I will come down. After we record next week's show, I'll come down to Montrose Harbor and say hi if, if you guys are there. Oh, 
you may be somewhere else doing a program, but I want to at least see the well, we look forward and take a picture. We look forward to meeting you, Michael. And uh, this is a great interview. Thank you so much for having us. Okay, brother. Okay, thank sister. You. We want to thank you all for tuning in to this week's live from the Heartland for the night of September. I want to thank both of our guests, Helen and Jerry, as well as our friend from Illinois Normal, which is Marge Vaselli. And I want to thank Katie Hogan and Tom Clark and Lynn Orman and Hal James, all the people who make the show possible. And remember, you can get live from the Heartland at youtube.com slash heartlandmedia slash videos. You can get it at wluw.org on Saturday mornings. You can get it on Can TV on Thursday nights and on Google and Spotify podcasts. Go to their podcasts and do live from the Heartland. Okay, everybody, have a great week. Keep doing good in the world. All power to the people. Thank you, Michael. And by the way, Veterans for Peace has some people doing some good radio shows, too. You would fit right in. Consider joining us. Hook us up. All right. Okay. Over and out. Power to the people. Don't forget it. And remember, All right. support your local librarian. And remember, and I got this from the Free Street Theater, and uh, there is a future. Amen. We're all going to make sure there is one. Okay. We got to fight for it, though. Yeah, we okay. do. <laughs> Take care, brother. Thank you. Are you doing the best you can? a dream awaiting I can see it in your eye it may not come easy but you know you've got a friend I'll be by your side the entire ride just let me hear you say amen are you doing doing are you doing the best you can